Jackie looks like he's impatient with a question. Uh, always. How are you? Thank you very much. I'll go ahead. The wrath of God or punishment does have their place and they do exist. You're right in saying that not all pains or sufferings are the result of sin or wrongdoing or rebellion against God, but some are. But however, based on what you teach, my impression is that you ask us to deny the existence of the wrath of God or punishment as a result of our own sin. Or to put it another way, you teach us that we should never assume anything negative that happens in life is a result of our own sin or wrongdoing. However, this is obviously to me not correct unless you deny the correlation between sin and punishment completely. I want your thoughts on this. Always good questions. There's no, there's no doubt that there is the wrath of God. But it has to be deserved. God is not just naturally wrathful. His wrath is inspired by some pretty serious evil. Do we have that kind of serious evil? Maybe somewhere, someplace, but generally speaking, the average person today doesn't do anything to spark that wrath. The average person. I can think of a few people who might, <laughs> who might be the exception to the rule, and um, you know, but that's just an opinion. The fact is that the people we're talking to, anybody who would be listening to this conversation, doesn't do anything to spark God's wrath. You got to be pretty evil for that, and that takes a lot of talent. <laughs> it's not easy to be so evil. It doesn't come from neglect. It comes from a real serious evil ambition. And then God's wrath is awesome because you're messing with his world and he's a little particular about his world. He's a little, he's a little touchy on that subject. So what I'm saying is not that there is no wrath, but that for all practical purposes, the people we're dealing with, the people we're li who are listening, the people who are who are part of this uh, conversation, they do not do anything that would deserve God's wrath. That's serious, heavy stuff. And the average person walking around thinking maybe I'm triggering God's wrath is not a healthy thinking. We should not assume that. We should assume that our sins are from ignorance, from carelessness, from neglect. Maybe God needs to remind us, give us a little nudge to get us back on track. But the wrath of God, whoa, that's, that's a special occasion. Very special. Maybe the word wrath is too extreme, but just daily uh, punishment or teaching, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so there are degrees of obviously of punishment, wrath, uh, vengefulness. So if you're talking about the common aches and pains that we have, 
You could attribute that to your sins, because that makes sense. The punishment has to fit the crime. So to say that somebody died because he spoke disrespectfully, come on, what are you doing? That's way out of proportion, right? So the, the punishment is, is never just God losing control or losing his temper. It's always measured, it's always appropriate, and it's always measure for measure. The punishment fits the crime. Serious crime, serious punishment. Most of our crimes, or most of our sins, are from neglect, from carelessness, from short-sightedness, immaturity. And therefore, the punishment also has to be common, not out of the ordinary, uh, not, not more serious than the sin. And the things that people attribute to sin don't match. Like a huge disaster where hundreds of people die, oh, it's because of somebody's sin. No, don't be ridiculous. So here we have a, a double standard. If I were to say my headache, my, um, my bout with uh, flu, which is pretty miserable, is because of my sins. There's something nice about that. There's something humble about that. And it's actually strengthening. Because if I can't explain the flu, I'm going to have it anyway. I'm going to be miserable anyway. And I got no explanation for it. So, but that's if it's my flu. But for me to say that my neighbor's flu is due to my neighbor's sins, that's out of line. I got no business saying that because I have no idea what his sins are. I cannot judge him. And I can't even say he deserves a flu. With my neighbor, I have to say, mysterious. Don't understand it. So what is a virtue if I say it about myself becomes distasteful if I say it about somebody else. Can I raise a question with you on that? Sure. Um, two things. One is I feel like if we spend much energy um, worrying about our ordinary sins, um, it sort of ends up being kind of an ego trip. You know, like I, you know, God's punishing me. I, I, my understanding is God pretty much wants us to be happy. And, and um, so I guess there's a little danger there of thinking about it too much. But the other thing is, I guess, going back to the flu example, I guess I would tell me, yeah, I mean, I'm just bringing this up. Um, I don't think about when I get sick or something bad happens to me, I try, I don't really think necessarily that I'm being punished for my sins. Uh, I suppose it's possible, but I, I try to think about what's the lesson here. Like when I get sick, I'd be more inclined to say, not that I was being punished for my sins, but that, you know, if I wanted to think about taking care of myself and being fully able to help other people and to take, learn and so on, you know, I guess the fault would be, I did too much, stayed up too late, drank too much coffee, didn't drink enough water, 
didn't eat properly that week and let myself get run down, you know? So I guess those things are sort of a sin, but they're sort of just, a, it's like a wake up call, kind of like I'm not taking care of myself properly. I imagine I'm doing these important things, but maybe more important really to have some self-care and some time for reflection. Yes, that's good. For yourself, that's wonderful. Somebody lies about me and spreads some damaging information or something, right? And I think to myself, well, I lie too. So I'm not outraged. You know, I might say, oh, why did I deserve that? Well, I can think about 10 reasons. <laughs> so I don't have to be able to identify the particular sin for which I'm suffering. That, that's a little presumptuous. But that I'm free of sin? I'm not free of sin. So if I'm not feeling so good and if not everything goes my way, I'm not shocked. I'm not, I'm not outraged. But if it was completely disproportionate, then I would have to wonder, what's going on? What is this challenge I'm meant to face here? So it's interesting. The Gemara says that uh, if you stub your toe, it's punishment for sin. It doesn't say which sin. In fact, if you reach into your pocket because you need a quarter, and you come out with a nickel, and you have to reach into your pocket again, that's punishment for sin. <laughs> that little frustration, particularly if it's a woman's pocketbook. <laughs> you got to go through the pocketbook, get to the, get to the purse, get to the section in the purse that has the coins. It's such a frustration that it's probably punishment for sin. <laughs> just having the pocketbook is a punishment for sin. I'm just around all the time. What did we do? Yeah. <laughs> How can we merit something different? Pockets in our pants for a change. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is, Jackie, it is a virtue to attribute your own suffering to your own sins. That's a healthy thing to do if it's proportionate, if it's reasonable. And you don't have to identify which sin. You have a whole smorgasbord. You can pick whichever one you, you know, blame it on any one of the sins. But that's good. That's humble. And that's recognizing that there is, there is the eye that sees and the ear that hears. And, and your actions are not insignificant. But uh, like Lori says, you can get a little too carried away, and it becomes a it becomes a an ego trip. My God is watching me, and I upset him yesterday, and he's going to punish me tomorrow. And there's a whole drama going on, like a whole a whole soap opera between me and God, and God and me. And okay, you know, let's not get that carried away. After all, you're not that important. <laughs> that God has nothing else to do but to follow you around and catch you sinning. <laughs> Rabbi? Yeah, John. I have uh, one thing that I can't square up, uh, and it came up because we're talking about really bad sins, horrendous stuff. And there's people out there that are committing those. And, and it doesn't square up with me about the soul after you die, because... You, you know, the, the teachings that I got from you specifically are that 
you know, the first three days are the worst, and then the next four days are less, and the month, and then the year. And then after a year, you're good, and you're where souls are. That doesn't square up with those people that commit horrendous sins, intentional sins to hurt people. You know, I mean, they're really bad people. And could you square that up for me so I can understand that? When we're talking about people who are exceedingly evil, but still redeemable, because there are some souls that are just not redeemable, and they don't get punished at all. They don't go through hell, because there's nothing to salvage. Where there's nothing to salvage, there's no point in punishing. Like, you don't discipline a child who is incorrigible, because what's the point? He's only going to hate you more. You punish where the punishment can make a difference, can bring an improvement. So Hitler, for example, is not suffering in hell. Why should he? To fix what? To redeem what? So those kinds of souls, they simply stop existing. They become generic energy. They're not a soul anymore. They don't have a personality, an identity. They're gone because there was nothing to salvage. That's the really extreme. Now, those who are evil but still redeemable do have punishments, severe punishments, outside of hell. It's a completely different thing. Like, for example, a soul that is so bad that it won't even be admitted into hell. So it's neither in hell nor in heaven. It's homeless. And that is much more painful than being in hell. And that can last for many generations. So you can have a really wicked soul that is suffering, not in hell, not, not even in hell. Homelessness, homeless souls. And they... They roam the world like hung between earth and heaven, and they're desperate for some relief, and that can go on for hundreds of years. But again, that's very rare, and we don't expect it of the average person. But that's also this phenomenon, if you want to get a little spooky and mystical, the phenomenon of possession, dibuk it's called where a homeless soul, in its desperation, attach, attaches itself to a person and possesses the person, drives the person crazy. So there is this thing of possession and, and uh, exorcism. It's all real. So these desperate souls, if they can find a gap in your armor and can get inside your head, they will. And then you got to get them out somehow. So that's the uh, the really, really, really bad people who in the long run can be redeemed. And this is distinct from reincarnation of someone who didn't finish their task, that didn't. No, that, those, those are good people. Those are good people who have more good to accomplish. But that's, you know, reincarnation is not a punishment. 
about being homeless and having to in, invade somebody else's body, that's a punishment. That is suffering for the soul. But it sounds like if it's very rare, it's not something we should really be worried about. Absolutely true. Doing what we should be doing. We are safe or safe from that. Yeah. But there are some rabbis or teachers who really make a big deal about this horrible suffering where you're not even invited into hell and you have to wander homeless and, and they go on and on and on. Who, who are you talking to? Why do you make it sound like most people should worry about it? But one other thing. <clears throat> what is a serious sin? Big sin? Terrible sin? How do you measure that? Like, what is the biggest of all sins? Murder? Idolatry? Which doesn't seem to bother anybody. <laughs> Adultery? Rape? What? I would say self-murder would be the biggest sin. Suicide? Because you, you, your life doesn't belong to you and you don't have the right to take it away. Mm -hmm. You have to wait until it's your time. Yeah. So here, here's what we need to take into account. You can't really say of any one sin, this is the worst sin. Because whatever the sin is, it also depends on how it was committed. Under what circumstances? By whom? Even murderers, they're not all the same. You have murderers who are murderous. If you allow them, they will kill. So when they kill, it's worse than when a person who is basically a nice guy who is driven to his limits and loses control and kills somebody. It's the same sin, but they're not comparable at all. So to make a sin really, really bad, you also have to have evil intention, malicious, um, malevolent, somebody who is out to destroy, out to kill. That makes it really, really bad. So a person who commits adultery with real evil intent is much worse than a guy who commits murder without the evil intent. So it's, it's a subjective thing. You can't just, you can't just uh, pick a sin in the abstract and say this is the worst. And that's why we have to leave it to God to judge. Because we can only see the sin. We can't see the circumstances, the background, the, what is it called? The uh, extenuating circumstances. We don't know these things, so we really can't judge. So there are people who commit the worst sin, but they are deserving of punishment because they can be salvaged. They're otherwise good people. 
good people can sometimes do terrible things. But there is something to, to save. Whereas with bad people, even if they do lesser sins, but they do it so viciously and so nasty, there's nothing to redeem. Or it's very hard to redeem. The same is true with mitzvahs. Let's not focus only on the negative. What's the biggest mitzvah a person can do? Help an old lady across the street? <laughs> Why is that always used as the example for a good deed? <laughs> There's this joke about a guy who says, yesterday I did a good deed. I helped this woman across the street. And it wasn't easy because she didn't want to go. <laughs> I had to drag her and she was kicking and fighting. So what is the biggest mitzvah? Charity? A mace mitzvah. Burying the dead? See, these are awesome activities, but how do you judge them without considering who's doing it, how they're doing it, what makes them do it, so a very rich man gives a lot of charity. Is that the biggest mitzvah? No, because he could give so much more and he doesn't care enough to give more. And then there's somebody who gives a dollar, but it's his last dollar. That's a huge mitzvah. So again, we can't measure mitzvahs either. But we're doing that all the time. We're always judging other people. Like, what's the way to, or what are ways to restrain ourselves from all those judgments that we're really not in a position to make? Well, the best way is to go to the opposite extreme. Don't, it's not enough to not judge. You have to actually defend and protect and love. Go to the opposite extreme. If anyone says this person is bad and deserves punishment, I have to disagree. I go to the opposite extreme. So it's not to be non-judgmental. It's to be positive in your judgment. Judge. But judge positively. Find the good. Don't just notice the bad. <clears throat> that's called being judgmental. But that's good judgment. But you know, too many people feel like if I was just neutral, that would be perfect. I have no opinion. Leave me alone. Live and let live. Do what, you, do what you do. Let me do what I do. That's not a virtue at all. That's just copying out. And it's probably not true. You do have an opinion. <laughs> you, just, you just don't want to share it. So you're going to have an opinion. Make sure it's a positive one. Thank you. Could you talk a little about balancing? Because sometimes there, there's a fine line. Uh, using your way, being positive and, and okay, my, my, to be positively optimistic and, and measure uh, for measure in, in, in the sim. However, 
over time, I might become callous in my thinking that, you know, God only does little punishment for my little sin. And then over time, those little sins accumulate or <laughs> increase, whatever. And then I, I still have this mindset. It's, it's, it's fine. It's not, nothing happened seriously or disproportionately to the point that I, I'm not even aware. So it's I, I wouldn't work on... becoming a better person in response to the threat of punishment. We should become better people because, because we can. We can be better. We should be better. <clears throat> we should, don't have to use punishment as your primary motivation. You have to be aware that God is not indifferent. He does care and he does reward and he does punish. But will that motivate me to be a better person? I've got better motivation. So when we're talking to each other and trying to inspire each other, we shouldn't stoop to using punishment. That's a cheap shot. If we're trying to inspire, we should inspire the awe of God, not the fear, um, the privilege of serving him, the much bigger picture than you don't want to get slapped, do you? That that's it works in an emergency, <laughs> like like when you're really tempted to sin and you got to turn turn all that passion, you know, turn it off or make it sour, and so you think about yeah, but I'm going to get in trouble, so it kind of dissipates your your passion, but but that's not a philosophy in life, you know. Your philosophy in life is what should inspire good behavior. I'm here for a purpose. God created me for a reason. Don't, don't, that's a lifestyle. That's a life's purpose. But uh, watch out for the lightning bolt. That's not, a, that's not a lifestyle. Just don't go out in the rain and don't stand under trees. You'll be okay. <laughs> Sin indoors. <laughs> You'll be safe from the lightning. And by the way, the little sins don't accumulate. They get punished daily. And so they're eliminated. They don't accumulate. On the other hand, on the other hand, we should be so keenly aware of how, how flawed a human being is. We can't fool ourselves into thinking we're noble creatures. We're very flawed. Even if I don't sin, I've got nothing to be proud of. Because <laughs> even if I don't sin, I'm still lazy. I'm still petty. I'm still irresponsible. And I haven't committed a sin yet. That's going to come tomorrow. Right now, I'm just being lazy and petty and jealous and critical. So to know, to know how much we're missing, how much we're lacking, is very important. It's as important as knowing how great God is. Because those, those are the two sides of the coin. God is very great. I am very flawed. 
The more I understand of God's greatness, the better. The more I, I understand how flawed human beings are, the better. Now, I got to figure out how does the most flawed creation relate to the most perfect creator? Now, there's a challenge. It's good to know how flawed we are. It makes us better people. For example, you see somebody misbehaving. What is your immediate reaction? Chances are, the immediate reaction is, I can't believe how a person can be so bad. What is wrong with this guy? How could you? <laughs> and then I think, wait a minute, I could. <laughs> I could do just as good. I can do even better than that. So what am I getting so excited about? Yes, we're all flawed people. So we can make terrible mistakes and do terrible things? Of course we can. Where do you think we are? Angels? So it takes away, it takes the edge off of our judgment. How could you? I understand how you could, but you shouldn't have. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little softer, you know? It's, like, it's not like the self-righteous, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, you would. And probably you did. You just don't remember. <laughs> So we become a better person the more we see our own flaws, not sins. It's not a judgment. It's simply a, a realistic uh, evaluation of, of our reality. We know what we are. We know, we know what we are capable of. And that's what makes serving God even more exciting. I can serve God? <laughs> Do you know me? <laughs> so when God says, will you be my people? And we're like, are you sure you want me to be your people? You know, think it over, because I don't think you want me. What, what have I got to offer? But God says, no, no, I thought it over. And yes, I know. I know you very well. In fact, there was a time I had to wipe you out completely with a flood. But I know you. I know you. And yes, I want you to be mine. Wow. See, that's the difference between the um, Hasidic approach and the Musar approach. The Musar is a very strict, uh, rigorous approach to performance of mitzvahs and to the relationship with God. And, and it focuses very much on on our sinful um, capacity, our sinful side. You should be humble because you sin. You should be ashamed of yourself because you sin. You're going to be punished because you sin. You're going to suffer for your sin. Hasidus says, there's no need for that. You are flawed before you sin. <laughs> You're imperfect before you misbehave. You should be ashamed of yourself even if you never do anything wrong. It's just the human condition. So it's not being self-righteous. And it's not being judgmental. Who sinned? What did you do? How did you do that? No, no, no. Before we get to sin, 
We are what we are. Terribly tiny, petty little beings. I mean, that's how we're born. But we can, we can grow into something very, very significant. How? By serving God. Despite our flaws, even despite our sins, 